You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Okay, so today we are in part nine of a journey through uh, the book of Ephesians. And so what we're doing this fall is we're just kind of going verse by verse, moment by moment, uh, all the way through uh, the, the entire book. So today we need to talk about things in your house that you can measure. So I don't know if growing up you had some place in your house on the back of some kind of door or on your bedroom wall where your parents would sort of like see how tall you were getting through the years. Anybody in the house today have something like that? Okay, a couple of us, all right? So kind of as the years went on, you got to see like, oh, here's little Charlie at age four. And like, oh, he kind of like grew up. Oh, wow, he's kind of shorter than we were hoping. Like it's a whole thing. That sort of was an opportunity in your house to measure. Um, but there's other things that you can measure too. Like if you're going to do some kind of construction project, you're going to get new carpet in your basement. We had to replace carpet pad um, earlier this spring because we had some water issues. Don't make me talk about it. I don't want to share any more about it. But a tape measure is a really, really helpful thing to have because you don't want to just eyeball it, all right? I know there's lots of you that want to eyeball it, okay? Stop doing that. That's for free. Use a tape measure, for goodness gracious. So... I've got that. I'm just going to leave this uh, over here. Um, And then another thing that some people like to eyeball is when you're grilling, when you're cooking meat. This is a little meat thermometer, okay? Some of you have never seen one of these. What some of you like to do is you look at it, you're like, oh, it looks done. No, that's not good enough. You need to measure. You need to know if the chicken is done. You need to know if the beef is done, all right? So that's another thing that we can measure. Another thing that some of you don't like using either is measuring cups, right? Like when you're baking, when you're making cookies, if you're making bread, if you're doing other kinds of cooking, I know that you're confident that you know what a cup is or you know what half a cup is. I don't, so I use a measuring cup, okay? So there's all different things that we can use inside of our house to measure. And it's interesting, though, how do we measure our likeness to Christ? Like, how do we measure if we're actually growing up into the person that God has for us to be? Like, you can't just look at somebody and tell, like, wow, you got taller this year. You can't just look at somebody and know, like, are we growing into our likeness in him? So, like, how do we know when his way has become our way? Like, how do we know that? And the question is not like how big, how mighty, how powerful is your faith? But the question that Paul wants to ask today is, like, is your life like lining up with the life of Jesus? Like, is it level like with his way? So it's interesting, not how big is it, not how wide is it, not how deep is it, but like, is it level? Like, what an important question. Like, for anybody who's ever built anything, anybody who's ever hung family pictures on the wall, the question, like, is it level? Does it match up with the life of Jesus? And so Paul, what he wants to do today, he wants to push the early church, and he wants to push us. 
not by asking, do you believe the Jesus story? It's interesting, Paul's not really interested in that question. Like, do you believe the story of Jesus? But he's much more concerned if we are living the Jesus story. Like this man who came and lived and died and was raised to life again, not so that we would have some kind of historical figure to look back on. Be like, oh wow, look at all the stuff that he did. Look at the miracles he performed. Look at his great teaching. But he breathed life into the earth. And so we are living the Jesus story when we receive that life and we give that life to others. Like when we receive the grace of God and we are people that are so filled with the grace of God that we willingly, freely extend that grace to others. Because Paul's not just concerned with what's in here. Not do you know the Jesus story. Not can you talk to me about the facts of the Jesus story. But he's concerned with what's in here. There's this New Testament word called splankna. It's like your bowels. It's like, is it in there? Is it like deep within yourself? I know some of you are like, gross. But that's how they thought about it in the ancient world. And I think sometimes what happens to us in the 21st century is that we spend too much time up here. Like, do we know the stuff? Do we know the facts? And I want us to spend a little more time like in our guts, in our splinkna. Like, do we, are we living the way of Jesus? Are we thinking about the way of Jesus? So today Paul's going to say that the best way to see if the Jesus way has become your way What's, a, what's the best way you could see that? The best environment for examining if the Jesus way has become your way is the place where you are most yourself. The place where you are not putting on a show for anyone. The place where you are not performing. The place where you are just you. Like that's the best context for knowing does our life line up with the Jesus way? And one of the places where you and I are most ourselves are in our homes. You ever notice that? Have you ever like getting ready for a party and it's chaos, it's insanity in the house? And then people come over, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you come in. It's heaven in here. If you've ever been in that moment in your life, you're doing what we're talking about today. Like, you just were, like, making a mess of things, relationally and otherwise, in the home. And then some presence of some other people made this, like, other person come out of you. And we're performing and we're putting on some kind of image and show. And if we're going to be able to examine and ask the question and answer the question, like, has the way of Jesus become our way? We're going to need to do that in the context of the place we're most ourselves. And we're just, I'm the most myself when I'm at home. And in the context of my own family. And so what Paul's going to do in Ephesians 5 at the end, in the beginning of chapter 6, is he's going to talk about like what's going on in your home. Like how are things in your home? Like are the things of your home lining up with the way of Jesus? So it's good to remember, if you didn't know this, there's a lot of messed up families in this book. So as we talk about this today, I just want to say to you, Grace, I'm not sure if you know about the story of Joseph. 
His brothers didn't, like, eat all the pizza. They sold him. I want to talk to you about Noah. Has a real embarrassing moment in front of all of his family. He's passed out with not any clothes, and he's had too much to drink, and his kids have to take care of him. His story's in here. And what also is in here is the truth, the power, the promise that there is no family that exists outside the grace and the reach and the renewal of Almighty King Jesus. No matter what's happened, there isn't a family that lives outside of the grace, the renewal, and the reach of Jesus. So, verse 21. Let's read this together of chapter 5. So the previous section, we need to claim verse 21 before we start going through this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if there's a verse you're going to underline today, if there's some words you're going to underline today, I want you to underline submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then verse 22, he talks to wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we're members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And if I could make a list of the passages of Scripture that are so horribly, grossly, I would say, mishandled, this is in the top five. That sometimes when we come to the Scriptures, what I love about the Scriptures is the Scriptures like force us to work a little bit, to get curious about what God is actually saying, not to just come to the text and sort of know what it already says. Because if you would ask a lot of people, if they could talk to you about wives submit to your husbands, you know what they couldn't talk to you about? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so I want to kind of walk through what Paul's talking about and some of what he's not talking about. You need to understand Paul's audience like Paul's audience would have expected him to say that men should have authority over people living in their home. But to his surprise, Paul doesn't really talk much about authority in these 155 verses of Ephesians, 2,550 words-ish. He talks a lot about submitting to one another, though. In the ancient world, submission flowed in one direction, like from the bottom up. Like you submitted to those who were in authority over you. And so there's this Latin term, patria potestas. 
and it just means, loose translation, I'm not a Latin scholar, the power of the Father. So even 300 years after Paul, I've got an Aristotle quote. We'll have Aristotle in here. Some of you won't in a second. But he once said, it's part of the household science for men to rule over wife and children. It's just part of how things work, that we would rule over wife and children. And I just want to ask you for a second, like, does it sound like the kingdom that we would rule over one another? Like, another way to ask it, does it smell like Jesus to rule over other people? Or is there a different kind of example in the life of Jesus? Like, do we see him doing something else? Do we, do we see him giving away power? Do we see him giving away authority? Or do we see him grasping onto it? Even in the last moments of his life, he's the most powerful one on the planet. And he humbles himself, Philippians 2 will say, and becomes what? Becomes obedient to death. Isn't that so interesting? Isn't that language so interesting? He submits himself. He lowers himself. He humbles himself to death, even death on a cross, which was a curse. It's like the worst way you could ever die. A lot of us in our modern time, we we hear the word cancer, and it does something to us. In the ancient world, to die on a cross, even the word cross would do something to you. Like there's such a shame that goes with dying in that way. And Jesus, the creator, the savior of the world, becomes obedient to death and death on that cross. And then, so verse 22, he'll say, hey, wives, submit to your husbands. Notice he doesn't say obey. He doesn't say obey. Notice he doesn't say defer to. Notice he doesn't say be ruled by. What does he say? Well, he says hypotasso, which is this word in Greek that means submit. And what it means, if you look at it, is it's a voluntary attitude of cooperation. Have we talked about that very much? I don't think we have. I don't think we've talked about hypotasso very much in that way. A voluntary attitude of cooperation. Like, hey, like we're members of the same body. Like, hey, let's work together. Like, hey, let's stop having this like attitude against each other. Like, you're over here and I'm over here. Men, and from, men are from Mars. Women are from somewhere else. And like, we're against each other. Like there's so much relational friction in the world and Paul wants to say, not in the kingdom of God. Like we're members of the same body. So he will go on to say like, why would you treat your own body in a way that's harmful to your own body? So if you're gonna treat somebody else with hatred and, with, and disdain and competition and rivalry, like you're hurting yourself. Because we're members of the same body. And if you would ask the New Testament, what does it mean to submit? The New Testament's answer to that question is that you empty yourself. You empty yourself of pride. 
you empty yourself of the need to always be right. You empty yourself of the need to be in control, the, the need to be powerful. I'm going to spill a little bit there. I've got to watch myself a little bit. Like to submit, to humble yourself, it's a self-emptying way of life. And this is what we see in Jesus. The places even where other people want him to assert his authority. He says, hey, no, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I just want to like ask us today, everybody together, like, would the experience of the other people in our lives be that we have a practice of emptying ourselves, of submitting, not to another person? Can I tell you that today? When you're submitting, you're not submitting to another person. Can I tell you who you're submitting to? You're submitting to him. Because the other person is not the person who has told you to submit, to lower yourself, to humble yourself. Who's told you that? He's told you that. Like the almighty King Jesus, the one sitting on a throne today, ruling with power and grace. That's what he's called us to. And he hasn't called us to anything that he hasn't done for us. So the book of Hebrews talks about like Jesus as our pioneer, the one who goes before he has given us this example. And so how are we going to know if like, we're, we're living the Jesus way in the place where maybe we're most ourselves, if our, our life is either going to line up with that or it's going to line up with our comfort in operating the way the world operates. So then husbands, I will point out, Paul doesn't have to talk very long to the ladies in the Ephesian churches. He's got to talk a while to the guys. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. And I don't know if that's ever like struck you as so weird, but that's always struck me as so weird. Like why, if these are people who are like living the Jesus way, like these are not random people, like these are people inside of the context of the church. Like, why would, why would Paul have to remind, like, hey, love each other? Because it's hard, because it's messy, because it's complicated, because it's uncommon. And what's it mean to love somebody? I think two things. I think thinking about the priority that you give them and the posture that you have towards them. So when we think about, like, are we loving other people well? I think we can take about, think about those two things. Like, are we giving them priority? Like, priority in our life, in the way that we interact with them. And then, like, what's our posture? Like, there's all different kinds of postures we can have towards people. And, like, the kingdom wants to call us to have an openness of posture and a priority towards other people. But Paul has to remind them, like, hey, love each other. Because the, the culture that they lived in is a culture that's built on status. It's a culture built on power. It's a culture built on control. And this is not the Jesus way. And so Paul says, love husbands, your wives. It's this word agape. And agape is a self-giving, self-denying, self-sacrificing love. 
It's not a convenient love. It's not an easy love. It's a love where you empty yourself. And it's just good for us to remember today that we follow a Savior who empties himself. Like we claim a Jesus who empties himself. We serve a God who does not withhold even like a crumb of his love from us. Like, have you ever watched a child eat a cupcake before? You ever notice there's like no crumbs after that deal? Like, they take care of it. Like, they'll even, I've seen children like lick the table that the cupcake was on because they're not going to let any crumbs hang around. And when I think about the kingdom of God, I don't think of a child licking a table, just to be clear. But I think of a group of people, a generation, if you would, like a nation of people who have received this significant love from God where they've not, there's not been a crumb of his love left away from them or they've not left, they have not missed out on a crumb of that love. And because of that, like we love one another differently. Like it doesn't look like everybody else. It looks strange. It looks weird. And so the question I think for Paul today is, like, hey, does this relationship in your home, does it look like Jesus or does it look like Rome? Like those are the two paths. Because Rome is this way of control and of power and of status. I think we've got a picture that you want to throw up there. And the way of Rome is this like self-exalting way. We're like, I'm the one that matters. I'm the one that's important because I said so and I'm in charge. But Jesus has this like self-emptying way of life, doesn't he? And I think Paul wants the Ephesians to know like, hey, in your homes, these are going to be the two ways of life. Like we can pursue a way of Jesus in our homes or we can pursue the way of Rome. And Paul wants to remind the church, that's not what you have been called to be. Your citizenship, he will say in other places, is in heaven. Like you live in Rome, you live in Ephesus, you live in Corinth, you live somewhere else. But your citizenship, your inheritance is in heaven, so we live differently. And then at the end of this section... He says, like, hey, we're talking about marriage, but we're not talking about marriage. He's talking about life in the kingdom of God. That these are the paths we have. These are the choices that we have about how we're going to relate to one another. Like, is there anybody in the house who's interested in a life where you empty yourself? Where you serve one another? Not in a way that's comfortable, but in a way that costs you something. Because it costs Jesus his life. So then he moves on in chapter 6, because that part's pretty easy. So then he's going to talk about being a child and being a parent. So chapter 6, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Oh, I forgot to say, too, this isn't a Sunday where you can elbow the person next to you. Okay. You might be tempted in this moment. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Can I just say, like, living in a home is hard? 
Anybody notice this? I know, like, wow, what a brilliant thing to come out of my mouth. I know you're so glad you came today. But can we just, like, get our arms around, like, how difficult it is to actually live in a house with other people? Who, like, don't do things the way we would do them? Who don't have our same preferences? And can I just tell you, like, there's an opportunity in that? Like, to be formed into, like, the likeness of Christ? To practice self-emptying? Like, I would say, like, one of the most frustrating things for me in my life currently is when we have no idea where the winter hats, where the winter gloves, where the winter stuff is in the morning. I think Satan, like, comes in the house at night, and he just messes with me. And he takes all the gloves, all the mittens, all the everything, and it's just, it has disappeared itself. And can I just tell you, it's really hard, and I have caught myself many times, not living in a self-emptying way when I have that dynamic going on. To not operate in a way of love and grace. And so there's a million opportunities that the Lord's going to give us to practice these things. He's going to give a couple imperatives to obey, to honor, do not exasperate, and then also to bring them up. So verse 1, he says, children, obey your parents. Can I just tell you, he's not just talking to little kids. He's talking to everybody. He's talking to everybody in this church, in the churches around in Asia Minor. Like, hey, we need to live in a way that has obedience at the center. And this, I think, gives exposure to really two ways that you can live your life. Like you can allow people to speak into your life or you can do what's right in your own eyes. And like obedience ultimately attaches itself to humility. Because you're allowing, when you obey, you are allowing another person to speak into your life. And I just wonder like in the room today, like who are we allowing to speak into our lives? Like, who are those people? Paul says, like, hey, you have an opportunity in the home for kids to, like, obey your parents. Let them speak into your life. Like, when you're 25, let them speak into your life. When you're 35, let them speak into your life. Like, even when they have already been carried into eternity, which is the story for some of us, like allow their, their memory, what they have poured into your life to continue to shape you and to form you. And when you do that, you honor them. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. So more than just following instructions, children are to live in such a way that parents feel valued, like by their kids. And you might like be in the room today, you were like, this is nuts. There's no way. And you're right about that. Without Jesus, without this self-emptying way, like if, if we want to be a part of the kingdom of Rome, then yes, there's no way. But like we're resurrection people. Like he didn't stay in the tomb. Like he defeated sin and death and hell by being raised to life. And he's not just holding on to that life for himself, but that he's giving that life to us. That we can take that life up and we can live in a different way. So honor your father 
your mother. It doesn't say agree with your father and mother. That we all have had different kinds of experiences growing up. I was talking with a friend earlier this year, and we were talking about how it's not our job to make our parents honorable, but it's our job to honor them. To do what we can to live in such a way that causes them to feel honored and valued. And then verse 4, he talks to dads. says, hey, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up. And I love this. This is like Paul's way of saying like, hey, show them just as much as you tell them. Like bring them up. Like carry them with you. Like for as, as many little mini sermons as you give them in the car or over the phone. As you get older, it like happens during text messaging, right? And you feel like you're in the back of the minivan again. You're like, wow. <laughs> for as much as conversation that you're having, show them. Like show them what it means by your example. This is what God does in Jesus. Like this is the incarnation. Like we're going to celebrate this at Christmas time. Emmanuel, God with us. Like God doesn't just tell his people. Doesn't just give them, you ever notice that? Doesn't just give us the Ten Commandments. Now do those commandments. He sends Jesus who lives out that kingdom ethic in the world. As our example for the power of living in that kind of way. And then he ends the section by talking about slaves and masters. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know what the Lord will reward everyone for everything, everything good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that he is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Something that I wonder about is, you know, why Paul doesn't, like, condemn slavery, like in the New Testament. Like, why he doesn't just say, like, hey, in the church of Jesus, in the kingdom, this is, this is not, like, the way of life. It's important to remember that to think of like the first century world without slavery is to think of like our world without electricity. Like it's sort of unthinkable. Like it's, it's the access that the ancient world like revolved around. Like when we think about the ancient world, like we're talking about like 30% of the population, 60 million people were slaves in that time. And it's important also for us to remember that like when we're talking about first century slavery, we're not talking about like 17th, 18th, and 19th century slavery in America. This is part of the economic system. And, and many times in the ancient world, slavery was not a lifelong thing. There is a reason. You owed some family money, you're paying off some kind of debt, the different kind of system than we find early in the 17th, 18th, 19th century in America. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, 
We know that because in Acts chapter 24, there's this guy named Felix. Felix is the governor of Judea. Would it surprise you to know that he spent much of his life a slave? But then when that time was over, he got into government and he was able to reach the very top. He's the governor of Judea. Pretty powerful. I mean, I'm not trying to say anything bad about our mayor. It's not like the mayor of Sioux Falls. It's a very powerful position in the ancient world. So this is not the definitive nature of their life on earth. But Paul says, I'm not okay with this existing in any kind of a way. Like there's a way that, there's a way to do this. And the way to do this is to not have authority just come from the top down but to serve one another. Because what does he say? He's essentially telling masters and he's telling slaves, like, let's live among one another with the idea that Christ is present right alongside you. So slaves, serve wholeheartedly, he says, treating your master as if I am serving among you. Like the way that you talk about them and the way that you treat them. And then he says to masters, treat your slaves like you treat me. Treat your slaves like I am one of them. And in doing this, Paul begins to take the pen out of the first century system of slavery. Like it's not going to exist like that anymore. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, when the kingdom of God comes on earth, things change. Like this is resurrection. So you're going to treat one another Differently, And the truth, I think, for a lot of us is that a lot of us live in this posture where we're like waiting for God to show up. Like we're waiting for God to return. But what we miss is that, the, that Christ is present with us. Like he's here. Like he bears witness to the way that we treat one another the way that we talk to ourselves, the way we're living this out, like if our life has lined up with his way. So Paul says to the masters and the slaves, don't live like Christ isn't among you. And he says to parents and children, like don't live as if Christ is not somehow among you. He wants to say to partners in the house, like don't live as if Christ is not among you, because you have two choices in life. You can choose the way of Rome if you want to, or it's about power, and it's about control, and it's about status, or you can choose the way of Jesus. The problem is we cannot claim Jesus and also claim Rome. And why can't we claim Jesus and Rome together? Why is that? It's because of John chapter 13 is why. I invite the band up as we close today. In John chapter 13, this is what happens. This is the very end of the life of Jesus. He's had a a set of some critical conversations with his disciples. And he has one last meal with them in an upper room in this random dude's house that we'll never maybe know. And One gospel writer says, after they had sung a hymn, Jesus takes a robe and ties it around his waist, a little towel around his waist. If you've ever been in a moment where, like, you could 
hear everybody breathe, this is one of those moments. Like the silence in the room. Like, what is Jesus doing? He ties his towel around his waist. And what does he do? He goes from disciple to disciple to disciple to disciple. And he washes their feet. This is moments before his arrest. This is days before his crucifixion. And he even goes to to Peter. And Peter is like the friend that we all need. And he's like, no, not my feet, but my head as well. Give me a bath, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, you don't understand what's happening. You don't understand what I'm doing. I've been talking to you about that. I was going to come to Jerusalem, and I was going to give my life, and I was going to be raised to life. Because there's something that God wants to bring to the world. And he can't bring that thing through Rome. He can only bring it through Jesus. So the peace that the Romans claimed as Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was not peace. It was control. And it was violence. And it was power. But the peace that Jesus comes to bring when he kneels at the feet of the disciples is a true peace. And he humbles himself in that moment. And that moment is, is over and two guys, Judas and Peter, end up choosing the way of Rome. Judas chooses the way of Rome by telling religious leaders where he's going to be and selling Jesus off. And Peter chooses the way of Rome when he has an opportunity to, to claim Jesus, to say, yes, I, you can count me as one of his brothers. I'm with him. He's like, I don't know the guy. And what I find so beautiful about Jesus is that Jesus does not think of himself as a servant. He doesn't think of himself as a servant. He takes the posture of a servant. And I just wonder what would happen in our relationships. Like maybe in our home, maybe in our workplace, like maybe right now you're in a season of life and it's just kind of like you and your apartment, your dorm room, whatever. And it's easy to be like, yeah, someday this will be really helpful. But what would happen in our relationships? Like not if we it's not that we're thinking of ourselves as a servant, but we're taking the posture of a servant. And I don't know if you're counting, there's 48 days left in 2021. And I don't know what could happen in those 48 days. I don't know how things maybe could be different in the next 48 days. But it's good for us to remember this morning that we cannot claim Christ without embracing the practice of emptying ourselves. And when we're going to walk out of here, we're going to choose the way of Jesus or we're going to choose the way of Rome. And so I just wonder in the relationships you have in your life, people in your house, people outside of your house, people online, 
people that you connect with in this city. I want to encourage us to stop thinking of ourselves as a servant. And I want, like the servanthood of Jesus, to get in our splankna, in our guts. Because it's the only way that we're going to understand that it's our identity. This isn't going to help you with the identity piece. But when it gets in here, gets in the core, and it's just your posture in life, is that I'm here to serve. Even when they cannot find the mittens or the hats or the snow pants, and I'm so mad at Satan for stealing them, that's probably the moment when I'm most myself. And I have a choice. And I'm showing something to them that either my life lines up with the Jesus way or it doesn't. We pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.